Last night, I was a guest at uh, In Touch, where I shared something about my life story, um, perhaps something about what makes me be who I am, different episodes that I've uh, gone through, and I revealed something of myself. Today's passage is about identity. Not who we were, not who our parents were, where we were born, those sort of things, but who we are called to be. It's not kind of the thing that you would have in your passport where you were born, the photo of you, but the what's coming next what the future identity is and where perhaps we should be already. Peter draws heavily in this letter um, to the churches on metaphor and using one word to mean something else. Out of the nine uh, so verses of the of the passage, um, six of like a direct repeat of the old Hebrew scriptures too that were taking metaphor and saying, you know, those words about stones, in particular. He draws from allusions given in Psalms and in Isaiah and Hosea. And he starts with that idea that the people of the church are infants needing their mother's milk. To grow and live, we need right nourishment. The pure nourishment that comes from God in an unadulterated format, the pure spiritual milk. Something that doesn't get watered down. Something that we don't tweak to make it more what we think it should be. But we need the pure substance. I think back to when my kids were very small and, uh, and Emeline fed them for uh, up until they were about six months. But then we started using a bit of formula and a bit of other stuff. And we gradually got into the weaning stage and everything. And uh, the mess that sometimes came when you tried to mix up formula, the powder and water and, uh, and getting everything right, wasn't anywhere as easy as Emmeline actually feeding the kids herself. Nor was it as nutritious or beneficial. We have to, as children of God, taste the truth and see that it is good and beneficial. Now often this passage, when we're mentioning Mother's milk, it's like, oh, well, they're new Christians. It's the early church. 
you know, we're a bit more mature than that. We've been living all our lives, perhaps, within fellowship, not just a few years as the early church had been at that stage. And we think, well, it's just that the new Christians and the babies will move on to that mushed up solid, the squashed pear, the things that are different. And then eventually on to something that they might really get their teeth into. But I'm not sure that that's the intention in the letter here. It is still early days for the church and its members. But I get the strong feeling that the focus is more about avoiding the unpalatable things. The things of life, like bad teaching. It's getting what's good. Seeking what's right, what's nutritious. The pure food that's there. And although saved they're still growing. They've been encouraged to grow in salvation, to grow in faith, to grow in what it means to be God's people. And that's actually something that we have to do still, however long we have been in the faith. We have to continue to grow in what it is that God wants us to be. Prior to this passage, Peter has been telling them things to turn from. But now he is turning to think not of the Christian life as a string of do nots, but more about the things that we do, how we live, how we encourage growth. The image of Christians outside of the church has increasingly been that we are people who oppose things rather than people of God's love. Rather than people that say, this is what is great, the hope we have, the joy we can experience, we get known as people that say no. For example... Um, as we think about how we might represent our our thoughts, uh, an issue that's been a different denomination. Um, A few years ago, as the Church of England were talking about the topic of uh, women bishops, I couldn't help but wonder whether it wouldn't have been easier for them as a denomination just to have a reformation a new reformation and get rid of the bishops completely you know that's kind of where we are we, we don't have bishops in the, in the ORC um, and that would make it clear that it wasn't uh, it was really about exploring ecclesiology uh, I wanted to write in there churchmanship but I think on the subject of women bishops churchmanship is maybe not quite the right word but it's a question about how we do church rather than about gender you know how we approach things and how we talk about things and, and how we explore it gets seen by outside and we have to seek what does God really want Now, obviously, I would hope, obviously, anyway, there are things that Christians have to turn away from. 
And when people come to faith, maybe later in life, they realise that there's maybe been things in the past that were wrong. But Peter is trying to look forward rather than backwards. And we need to think that way as a church. Not forgetting the past, but building upon it. And this moves us into Peter's collected thinking of us as stones and the images he drew out of us as living stones. Coming together, having Christ as our cornerstone. A picture of us having um, a structure as people rather than the structure being a building. But what we are presented with is uh, the difficulty of what a, a living stone might be. Because we're used to stones being a rather inanimate object. They sit wherever you put them down. They don't get up and walk away. And the living stone is a bit of a, a strange oxymoronic word isn't it two words that we use together but in normal language don't quite fit a stone is something solid and hard it requires a sustained effort to be changed either by a heavy blow you know hitting it with a sledgehammer or a different way it can change too the gentle flow of a river over the years, gradually shaping it and rounding it from something that was maybe blocky into something that is perfectly smooth. It might get broken, but it cannot die. Now let's think of living things, things that are born or planted, they grow and they undergo change. They generally have the ability to reproduce. They need certain elements surrounding them to continue to be alive or they will die. And even with those elements, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, life will at some point change the living being might be able to interact with other objects often deliberately sometimes by accident and they impact their surroundings they never stay exactly the same so we've got these things inanimate and living that come together. Stones are not alive. They don't breathe. They don't grow. If you plant a stone out in the garden, and I sometimes think that somebody's done that lots of times, you know, if you go out there and start digging, you, you find more stones than anything else. If you plant a stone that looks like a potato, it doesn't grow into a whole cluster 
of stones that look like potatoes, does it? If you put one down, it doesn't wander off. They don't swim in the river. And they only fly if you pick it up and give it a throw. How can a stone be alive? But let's not look at the negative. But think of what the properties of a living stone would be. On Palm Sunday, when the Pharisees told Jesus to keep the disciples quiet, he responded that if he did, the stones would cry out. The stones are not scared. You cannot stop them being what they are. You can't frighten them into being something that they are not. The living stones will always praise God, whatever the circumstances. And again, in the desert, the Israelites have no water. But Moses, at the Lord's command, takes his staff and he hits the rock. And water pours out. Living water flows. The living stones contain the water of life. It sustains them, enables them to do God's work. Praising God and doing God's work. Living stones. It's the two key basics of the people who are the church. We have received our salvation by faith. And in true faith, our lives will reveal God's love. That's how kind of the passage finishes, isn't it? As what sort of people we are. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. Not just the right or praying direct to God, but the responsibility of sharing what God says. As part of the church, you are part of God's holy people. You might not always accept that word as holy in your life. But we're not holy because of who we are but because of what God has done for us. He has adopted you into his family. He calls you sons and daughters. You are loved greatly by the one God who created all. None of us are good enough to be called holy, But God makes us holy, cleansing our sin and promising eternal life to the believer. Therefore, may your identity be rooted in God's love for you. And may you reflect in thought and word and deed 
his love for the world. Amen.